Let us turn now to consider words you will find in the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11, and we may read from verse 20. Hebrews chapter 11, reading at verse 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And so on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. <coughs> About 375 years or thereabouts after the death of Joseph in Egypt, two things happened. A new dynasty ascended the throne, a new line of pharaohs, the name by which the Egyptian kings were known, and under them the policy of the Egyptian nation towards the Jewish community changed dramatically. By this time, Egypt had become a great military power and under the, this new dynasty had uh, undertaken a great building program but uh, there seemed to be, in the words of scripture, a fly in the ointment. This increasing Jewish community had become almost a nation in their own right. And consequently, for some reason, known and unknown, they were becoming a source of real annoyance to the Egyptian kings. And consequently, this new pharaoh adopted a policy of extermination towards this people. And in past days, we've been hearing so much about the policies of successive uh, nations through the centuries towards this people of God, the Jews. You remember that when uh, Joseph had been made Prime Minister of Egypt and many years after that, his family, Jacob's father Jacob and his family moved into Egypt from Canaan. And, as I said, for nearly 300-odd years, they held a very honoured place in that land. The Egyptians always recognised, for many years, their great debt of gratitude to this Jew, Joseph. And uh, his family, 
and uh, the uh, increasing nation thereafter enjoyed many privileges in Egypt until this new dynasty ascended the throne and so they adopted this policy of extermination towards them and it took three lines we read this in the first two chapters of Exodus here this morning Pharaoh thought that he would exterminate them through a policy of hard labor now his dilemma is highlighted there in Exodus chapter 1 he recognized the value of this people for this great building program that he had undertaken and he thought that much as he would like to get rid of them as a people he could at least use their number by uh, this policy of hard labor and so he set them to work under as we read hard taskmasters who tried to make and who succeeded to a large extent in making their lives a misery now the wisdom of this policy is seen in this way he had the best of both worlds he could use them for this hard labor and at the same time so break their spirit that he could increase their mortality rate on the one hand and thereby decrease their birth rate on the other that was his policy and as you can see humanly speaking a very wise one and well thought out one but Pharaoh reckoned without one great factor he forgot about the existence of God and God's relationship with his people a relationship rooted in his covenant engagement for them because towards the end of chapter 2 if we had time to read it you'd have to come across this verse God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob and because of that covenant a quite astounding thing happened in Egypt as Pharaoh tried to use this people on the one hand and exterminate them gradually on the other this thing came to light the more he forced them into hard labor the more their number increased in other words Pharaoh was confronted with American in action and at the back of it of course was God God was working on behalf of this people and so when that plan failed he tried another this time it would be extermination at birth and so as we read he employed the services of the nursing profession in Egypt and particularly the services of the midwives so that uh, filtering through them probably through those who were in charge of the this aspect of the nursing service filtering through them would uh, this this policy would be put into effect by the other nurses so that uh, every Hebrew child was exterminated at birth <coughs> but then of course as ag again Pharaoh reckoned without God in some wonderful way those who charged the nursing profession were uh, exercised a spirit of not just compassion but of helpfulness towards the pregnant Jewish mothers and again the policy failed the birth rate didn't slow down the nation wasn't exterminated the Jewish people flourished and God again in a very wonderful way made provision for those midwives he saw to it that they didn't fail as we saw last week no one ever fails with God no one who puts his trust in God no one who honors God will ever fail they that honor me says the Lord I will honor them and there are many people in this church today who can bear testimony to that principle and there are many people who will say of them 
see it in action in their lives that God is working for them. So now he implements policy number three, extermination by drowning. And the edict went out from the palace throughout all the land that every male Hebrew child was to be drowned in the Nile. Now, this was an awful edict proceeding from the throne. It was so awful indeed that Stephen, in his dying speech, sheds some light for us on its awfulness. In Acts chapter 7, we read this, that the Hebrew parents themselves had to implement this policy. It wasn't just the Egyptians who were to take hold of every male Hebrew child born and drown the child. Even the Hebrew parents themselves were forced into this kind of act. And you can imagine the pain and the agony and the grief that that would have caused to many a parent's heart. They had to implement this policy themselves. That's what Stephen says. And again, it failed. Because once again, Pharaoh reckoned without the great presence and provision of God. Because this was, after all, a calculated attack on God's covenant provision for this people. And remember this, that embraced by this covenant, within this covenant, and part of its engagement was this, at the very heart of it, was this, that God had determined not just to save this people from Egypt through Moses, but in the course of time to save the world through this people. Because the Savior of the world was to come in fulfillment of a covenant engagement. The Savior of the world was to come through this people into this lost world that he might die for this world and become its Savior. Consequently, any policy implemented against this people and calculated to exterminate them was bound to failure for the simple reason that God was with his people in his own covenant engagement for them. And therefore, and this is where you see the folly of any individual or any people or any nation who takes up arms against the Almighty God. This is where you see the folly of any such policy. And this is where you see the truthfulness, the great fact of Scripture. No weapon that is formed against him shall prosper. No matter what wisdom is behind it and no matter what power is wedded to that wisdom, it can never prosper because it is power and wisdom wedded against the Almighty God. Now look at this edict. Every male child to be drowned in the Nile. That was to be the means of their destruction. And what does God do? What does God do? God steps in and he uses that as the very means of their salvation. The Nile was to be the means by which the Jewish nation were to be destroyed. And God steps in and uses that very Nile as the means out of which their deliverer is drawn. Moses. Called Moses meaning drawn out of water. And this was part, as we'll see in a minute, part of his parents' faith. They saw that he was a goodly child. That is, it wasn't just that he was a nice-looking child. It wasn't just that. But there was something about this child that drew his parents' faith Godward. They recognized in some very wonderful way that this was God's provision. 
not only for them but for their people and all along the line you see here this fascinating first two chapters of Exodus giving us a narrative of the events that unfolded and the two great actors that were on the stage Pharaoh and God Pharaoh the seen and God the unseen Pharaoh using means to destroy God and his credibility and God employing these very means to show that no weapon that was used against him could prosper so God uh, saves and God's plan here is bound to succeed because as I said earlier it was rooted in his covenant engagement the edict that proceeded from the palace to drown all the male Hebrew children was used by God to bring the Hebrew deliverer out of the means appointed for his destruction and for those of you who may be interested in it there's a very interesting parallel here in the life and the death and the work of Jesus Christ he was to be destroyed by him who had the power of death that is the devil and it was throughout it was through the very means it was used to destroy him that he rose to become the savior of his people he rose from that very death to live today as the savior of the world in the same way as Moses rose from the waters of the Nile to become the savior and the deliverer of Israel well no this Moses and if you could follow this through you know it's, it, it makes really interesting reading these two two chapters if you follow this just may I mention this before I leave it you see Moses was not just brought out of the water but in a very wonderful way as we write brought into the palace of Egypt and brought up in the palace of Egypt so that in the course of time again in accordance with God's wonderful provision he would come out from that palace to become the great deliverer of his people how wonderful God is how wonderful his covenant engagement for his people how certain of fulfillment how thankful you are to be here today if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ that with you is your God and pledged for your comfort and your consolation and your support and your deliverance is God's covenant engagement with you in Christ nothing will ever fail in that covenant nothing that he has ever promised will fall God will bring it into glorious fruition for you and God is working for you even as you sit in this church today you remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 if God be for us who can be against us and that was part and a very real part of the nature of the faith of his parents as we read in this verse they were not afraid of the king's commandment why because they knew that God was with them and for them well then that uh, deliverance the, the, the Moses came out of the palace to become the deliverer of his people now <clears throat> at the uh, when we read here that Moses uh, when he was born he was in three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child they were not afraid of the king's commandment I just want in a minute or two to have a look with you and a very brief look it will be really at their faith I wanted I wanted to emphasize the this uh, covenant relationship that God had with his people a sort of a 
leading us into this very brief consideration of the faith and I'll only take 10 minutes to discuss it with you. You see, look at the faith that they had in its exercise, first of all. They hid him for three months. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Now, this is the way in which faith worked. You see, faith is, as the New Testament tells us, faith is not dead. Faith is always accompanied by what? It was one of the great arguments of James in his letter. To the kind of person who said to him, oh, well, he says, I have faith. Is that so? Prove to me that you have faith. How can I prove it? James answers, by your works. Faith without works is dead. Now, look at it like this. If we believe, as we do, that Moses' parents recognized God's provision here in their own son, that they recognized Moses as the deliverer of his people, why could they not just have sat back and put their hands in their pockets and said, well, this is God's provision and God will see to it that he will bring it to fruition. Why do people who have faith, for example, not just sit back and say, well, I believe in God and God is going to provide, so therefore I don't need to do anything about it. Why don't people act like that? I'll tell you. Because they know that it is unbiblical so to act. And something else, it is not in the nature of faith to sit back with folded arms. Faith works. Faith has eyes. It has eyes not just for the provision of God, but it has eyes for the means that God puts at their disposal. I must say, and maybe I'm putting my head on the chopping block for saying this, but I must say that it is with great reservation that I listen to such people as who claim to live solely by faith. By that I mean, of course, people who do nothing but who depend upon what God is going to give them for their existence. And I don't want to, I would, wouldn't want to be, uh, wouldn't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I wouldn't want to cast aspersions on the great memory, the memory of such great men as Hudson Taylor and people like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. I feel that there are people who claim to live by faith I'm not talking the spiritual sense, I'm talking material sense as well. People who tend to live by faith and to say, who make so much play of this, that the very fact that they're saying it is a means that is being used to bring a um, means of support towards them. The kind of person I would like to think who lives by faith is a person who says nothing about it. Not the person who's parading it to the four points of the compass. In any case, there's a digression. Faith works. Faith works. And faith uses means. And here were these believing people using means. They believed that God would look after their child. But they had a responsibility towards the child. And so they hid him. They hid him. Until such time as they could hide him no longer. They realized that by the child, the time the child became the, child, the time he was three months. Well, a child at that stage brings attention to himself from the neighbors round about. People start hearing the child cry, and crying very strongly at that, at three months. People uh, come to notice a child at that stage. A child makes himself known at that stage. So does their responsibility until that time arose. It was their responsibility to look after him. They hid him. That was faith. That wasn't unbelief. That was faith using its eyes and using its common sense, using its reason. Faith is not irrational. It lays hold of a God who's beyond our understanding. Yes. But it also listens to what that God says to it and it acts responsibly. And that is why, for example, when we come here today, 
for, for the service of baptism. That is why parents here today are going to take vows upon themselves to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How does faith react? How does a believer react to such a vow? Does he say, does he put his hand in his pocket from then on and say, well, the church can look after them. The minister can instruct them. The child can come to his own decision. This is one of the wonderful teachers of the day in which we live. Is that the way in which faith reacts? Far from it. If you, my friend, here today, may I say this to you parents who are sitting not in the front seat here, but sitting down below and in the gallery. If you who have taken vows upon yourselves for your children, and who, in the presence of a congregation, promise to bring up your child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, you ask yourself as you sit here today, how responsibly have you acted? Have you reacted since then to the vows that you took? Has your faith that you professed in this church years ago been accompanied by works in that direction? Has it? <coughs> faith works. Then secondly, faith works because there's a motive. And the motive is the power and the promise of God. And you see, they recognized that he was born for a purpose. And there were two things that they had in their heart. And two very powerful principles that work for the good of any child, whether there. Love for the child and faith in the one who gave them the child. Now if you have these two principles wed in a human heart, you've got two very powerful forces at work for good for the child. Now I'm sure that people say, well anybody has love for the child. Very well, it's a wonderful thing and a wonderful gift for parents to love their children. But far more wonderful than that is the faith in the parents, is the love in the parents' heart wedded to faith in the God who gave them the child in the first place. And that was the motive behind their faith. They lay hold of God and of his promise. And then there was its nature and I've mentioned this already. You see, in some way, God must have revealed to Moses' parents that he was to be this child, and that he was such a child as this. And notice what it did for them. It raised them in their acting above the fear of the king. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. They were not afraid of it. And so all that they did was done by faith in God. And that is what raised them above the fear of the commandment that proceeded from the palace. That they lay hold of the greatness and the power and the provision and the love of God. That they claimed all that God was himself for themselves and for the child. If they had been taken up solely with the edict, I've no doubt that they would have been that terror had been struck into their bones. But their faith in God raised them above that fear. And this is what God does for the person whose faith is an exercise upon God. Remember how Paul put it. Our light affliction is but for a moment. And it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It works for us. But notice he didn't say it worked for like, like that every time. Only as we look to him who is unseen. And only as we think of the things that are eternal and not the things that are temporary and transient. You know that there are many things in this life, if you look at them and if you consider them solely, many things that would strike terror into the hearts of every parent here today. When you think of the kind of environment your child is born into, the kind of world he's going to be brought up in, the uncertainty of the age, the difficulties and the problems and the pressures of the age, the 
sins of the age. If you only think of these things, the contempt in which God is held in this age in which you and I live. There are many people who, I'm sure that you who are here today as grandparents, in many respects you don't envy the young parents here today bringing up their children in this day and age. I'm sure you feel like that. And I've no doubt that any, every parent here today will know the awful feeling of foreboding that you find in your heart from time to time. How your spirit seems to sink under this very crushing weight of the things to which your children are exposed in this world from every conceivable angle. From many sources and sources from which they weren't exposed to these things some years ago. But things have changed today. We live in a difficult world. And if you allow your mind and your heart to be invaded with these thoughts, you'll be bowed down with fear. What then is the answer to that problem? Ah, my friend, the Bible has the answer to the problem. It is the God of the Bible. It is the Christ of God. And if you lift your heart to him, and if you take your child to him, then you too can live as Moses' parents lived, without being afraid of the king's commandment, as long as you look to him, and you trust in him, and you listen to him, and you obey him, because if God be for us, who can be against us. But I want to end with this note. Again, coming back to what I said already, faith and its work, or rather, faith and its responsibility. You see, as I said earlier, faith is not, in this sense, irrational. It is not, as someone put it once, it is not a leap in the dark. It is a leap in the light. That is what faith is. Faith believes what the Word of God says. Faith believes that God uses, gives you means that you may use for the good of those whom God has given you. Let me mention one or two of them to you, and you know them already. There is, first of all, the love that you have in your heart for the child. Look at how lovingly Moses' parents hid him for three months. And then look at how parental planning came to their aid. How will we save this child? Well, what about a basket and what about making it watertight and putting this babe in the basket in the Nile? So that he won't drown. There's planning independence upon God at the same time. What about prayer and committing the child? We believe as they did in a prayerful spirit to the waters of the Nile. What about the wonderful ingenuity, sending his sister to stand in the bulrushes to watch and see what would happen to the basket? What about the sister's wonderful ingenuity in suggesting a nurse for this child to the Egyptian princess? And the wonderful ingenuity of the sister in thinking about, and the wonderful planning behind it. What about his mother without telling the princess to nurse? See the way. Faith uses means. Faith works. And God has given you means towards the good of your child today. You've got a Bible in your hand. You've got knees that you can bend in the presence of God. You've got a tongue in your head by which you can instruct the child from the Word of God. You can, you can bring all the forces at your disposal to bear for the good of, to, upon that child for his good independence upon God. You've got a church that you can attend, a gospel you can listen to, and see to it that your child knows what these means are, and see to it that you use these means for the good of your child. Teach, as, as someone put it, fold the little hands in prayer. Teach the weak knees their kneeling. Let them see you speaking to your God, and they will not forget it afterwards. That is but just scratching 
the surface of this one episode in the history of this great, great man. By faith when he was born, he was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Let us pray. Bless to us, Lord, thy word, and help us to honour thee for thy goodness to us and thy long-suffering toward us. Bless us, O Lord, as we continue before thee here in this service. We pray for thy presence and for thy help in all that is done now and may it be done with a view to the glory of thy name. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall sing now to God's praise in Psalm 107. We'll sing the first six verses of the psalm. That is verses 1 to 9, Psalm 107. Praise God for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so, whom he from the enemy's hand did free, and gathered them out of the lands from north, south, east, and west. They strayed in deserts pathless way, no city found to rest. Verses 1 to 9 in Psalm 107, praise God, for he is good.
Let us read our warrant for the administration of the sacrament of baptism. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Read from verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. some delay and uh, I think we should just give the mothers a chance to uh, get ready and to enter here with their children. I just speak this morning about the wonder of God's covenant engagement on behalf of his people his covenant relationship with them and really it is in the terms of the covenant engagement that we are to understand uh, something of the nature of this uh, provision that God has made for his church the sacrament of baptism the argument of course for the sacrament for baptism of infants is a accumulative one we recognize readily recognize and immediately recognize from the scriptures that we don't come here with scripture and verse, chapter and verse as an argument for the practice of infant baptism. It is a cumulative one that runs right throughout the Bible and it begins here. It begins with God's covenant provision for his people because the Bible always speaks of the people of God as a covenant people from the very beginning from the time that God determined to save the first person in the world he had this covenant uh, people and he, had, he entered his covenant relationship with them and they are considered and I think that it would, it, we could take this with us this thought with us of nothing else for example today that you speak of the church as a covenant people and in the Old Testament for example this covenant people, this church that God had, God made two great provisions for it. For example, it, uh, 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 the, the Passover uh, institution and circumcision. Now, the Passover was that means by which this people remembered how God had saved them. The circumcision was the right that God had given to this people by which they showed that they belonged to his own people. This was God's provision for them. And when you come into the New Testament, you're thinking not of that different church, it's the same church, the same people, the same covenant, but with different covenant provisions. In this respect, the Passover becomes the Lord's Supper by which the people remember how God saved them by the death of his son and baptism as the initiatory right by which people are brought into this church of God. And one other thing, that church, or rather the 
heads of the families in that church always had a responsibility towards the families. The families always considered as a unit within the church. You see, the church isn't considered just as an individual here, an individual there. A head of a family comes from this corner, sits with his people. No, no. The head of that family has a responsibility towards that family Godward. And when he comes, he brings his family with him to worship not just his God, but their God. This is the way the Bible speaks of the family in relation to God. And it's a wonderful provision that God has given to the family, to the representative head of that family, to make sure that he gives the privileges of the church to the members of his family. He can't opt out of that responsibility. And that's what brings these parents here today, so that they will publicly testify to the fact that they are accepting a God-given responsibility towards their children. And you see, this places a tremendous responsibility, a very onerous one, upon you who are here today as parents, fathers and mothers. Places a tremendous responsibility upon you. Let me put it like this. In the course of time, your child is going to go to the state school. And uh, knowing that I might incur the wrath of the, uh, my friends who are in the teaching profession in here today, I'll say this to you. The moment your child enters the state school, he or she is going to be exposed to some influences you want the child to embrace. Now I say that's a parent myself without any fear of contradiction whatsoever. And I don't care who quotes me. Any parent worthy of the name recognizes that the moment he hands a child over to the state, the child is going to be brought in into contact with things. Things. Some things and a few things. That that parent wouldn't want the child to accept. And wouldn't want the child to believe. I wouldn't want any child of mine to believe that he or she had his, her, his or her origin in a molecule or in something else. I believe with all my heart in the creation story as the Bible narrates it. And so to the majority of people in here. But you see, you children are going to be exposed to people who won't believe that. And they'll tell them, and they'll expect your child to believe that. Now, you wouldn't want that, would you? No. The point I'm making is this. You have a responsibility to teach your child, to bring your child up in the Christian faith. In the course of time, you're going to tell your child what you've done here today. That you've baptized your child. What does that mean? Well, in the course of time, you're going to tell your child that you brought you, in a responsible act, brought your child within the pale of the Christian church, into the privilege of the Christian church, under, the, under the, 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 the teaching of the Christian church, and you're going to challenge your child one of these days with these teachings. And you're going to ask your child, look, this is what I believe. I want you to believe it. You're going to tell your child one day, that you want him or her to make a conscious choice of the things that he or she is going to accept. I believe that that is the emphasis that the Bible brings upon family religion. That the, the family is considered as a unit. And they do these things together and they're brought up in that Christian faith. And this is one thing that baptism is going to do. You see, some people come here, there are some people who are so stupid, so silly, they think that the baptism is, only the only, is, is the means only by which a child is given his or her name. Well, that's the height of folly. And it's nothing short of superstition. And worse. There's a very serious and responsible thing that you are undertaking today in the presence of God. And you, in the course of time, therefore, are going to challenge your child about his relationship to God himself, you're going to challenge your child about relationship to Christ. Is Christ to be your saviour? Is God to be your God? You think of a parent, you think of a mother and a child, a mother and father today with a child. And it's perfectly right that any mother and child, any, any mother and father worthy of the name should say these things to a child. Is my God going to be your God? 
Is my Savior going to be your Savior? Is my Holy Spirit going to be your guide and your comforter and your director? Is the people of God to my love, are they going to be your people? The church to which I am affiliated, is that going to be your, but your church? These are perfectly natural questions for the parent to put to the child. And I think that this is one way in which parents who accept baptism are recognizing their acceptance of the great responsibility that God has placed upon them. You see, when God gave you the gift of your child, he gave you a gift. With it, he placed a tremendous responsibility upon your shoulders. Let none of us ever forget that. And let each one of us recognize it as we sit and stand here today in the presence of God. Would the fathers please be upstanding? Now, uh, the parents today have appeared before the kick session to receive this privilege of baptism. And uh, I'm not going to go from one end of this lectern to the faraway wall there to ask each individual, each one individually, these questions. But I would want to remind the congregation of the questions that were put to them, the vows that they undertook at the session, and the vows that they are now undertaking in the presence of this congregation. And they are these. That they accept the scriptures to be the word of God in their entirety. They accept their authority. They accept that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the saviour of sinners. They have promised to bring their children up in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. They have promised to give them a Christian upbringing. These are the vows that were put to them and are put to them now and that I accept that they answer each one for himself in the presence of this congregation. Would the congregation please be upstanding and remain upstanding? Take your children, please. Amy Ray. Amy Ray. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, one God. May the Lord richly bless you. Lisa, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. David Alistair, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Norman, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Matthew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Karin. Karin, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Mark, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord be with you. Lorna, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Isabel. Isabel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. 
May the Lord's blessing be upon you. Annabel, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Karen Jane, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Jennifer, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Alistair Andrew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Isabel Shona. Isabel Shona, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord bless you. Lauren. Lauren, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, one God. May the Lord richly bless you. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank Thee that Thou art God and that we can lift our hearts to Thee today knowing that Thou wilt not turn away the cry of the poor. We thank Thee for the gifts and for the blessings of life. We thank Thee for the way in which Thou hast enriched Thy church on earth. We thank thee for children within the church and that the church has always been known as a unit of parents and children. Thou hast said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. We pray for the children here baptized in thy name today. We pray that they may be spared to grow up in life as a source of enriching blessing to their parents and to all with whom they come in contact. We pray for them, O Lord, as they grow up in an evil world. We pray that thy hand will be upon them for good, to save them, to bless them in accordance with thy covenant engagement. We pray for the parents that they may be given grace to honour the commitment that they have given here today. May thy blessing be upon them all, and may thy peace prevail in their hearts and in their homes. Guide each one of them, we pray thee, and undertake for us now. Help us to put our trust in thyself and to love thy name as we go out from this place of worship. May the blessing of the Lord God be upon us all. Lift upon us the light of thy countenance and forgive all our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs> We shall bring the service to a close now, singing in Psalm 127. St. Andrew, Psalm 127, will sing the whole psalm, Accept the Lord to build the house, the builders lose their pain. <clears throat> Accept the Lord to Yeah.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <clears throat>